and welcome to this week's episode of the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. Quick turnover from the last episode, just because we missed a week last week and we felt a bit bit sorry for you all. Obviously, a double dose of us this week will cure any ailments that you might have. And by the time that this is released, it'll be a Friday. I'm sure you listen to it first thing. Sun will be shining. It'll be a fantastic day. Everyone will be very, very happy. I mean, including us, because by the time you listen to this, most people, we will be getting ready for quite a messy day. Got a nice little work session planned, haven't we? So uh, a few of us out for work tomorrow. Um, How did you describe it to me in the poshest, uh, weirdest way I've ever uh, sounded it? A uh, bottomless supper? No, all right. So it was called a bottomless supper, the thing that we were going to book. I'm not saying it because I'm posh and clearly by my accent and anyone listening to this knows I'm not posh. It's a... it's basically a bottomless brunch, but it's after a certain hour. And I think revs just call it bottomless. So if anyone's in revs today, well, again, today, being in Friday, come and pop in. Come and see the, the tapping up duo. Start a fight. Throw some beers about. Kick off. Tapping, you know? tapping up uh, ladies with our little harem of uh, of misses. Just the two of us in it and the, uh, the ladies tomorrow. Well, there'll be loads of people trying to talk to us, obviously, because very famous around these parts. Well, I mean, we, again, I mean, when you get to a point that a bird's chatting you up when you're buying a sinkum blocker, as I had earlier this week, then um, what can we say? If we're going to be out on a session, it's uh, it's bound to happen, isn't it? So this were weird because we were in home bargains of all places and Ian has blocked his sink. Uh, you told me it were with jizz, which confused me because I don't know why you're jizzing in your sink. Um, but you're looking for some drain and blocker and some random woman comes up and says, oh, I get this drain and blocker. It's really good. It's seven or eight quid in Wilco's uh, and it works every time. And I have a lot of hair in my house. I mean, at which point I referred to her being bold and said, that's not a problem I have. Um, <laughs> and basically thanked her and walked off, uh, not really picking up on it. And at what point you were telling me, she was definitely after a piece there. She was she was chatting you up. I was like, was she? Was she really? But I can honestly say I've never gone up to some random person in home bargains, nor would I ever choose to. So I can only imagine that she wanted a bit. Maybe she was just a very helpful lady. No, I doubt it. She was still trying to talk to us as we were walking off. I say walking off quite quickly, sprinting off because she seemed to follow us and... Uh, yeah, we're a bit a bit creepy. Um, we'll get straight in anyway. Less ego boosting for yourself. Uh, we have literally just watched the third episode of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, literally just got off the fight as well. I think I, I basically turned it off as soon as the fight were finished. Uh, it was really comprehensive again, and I feel like this show is getting more and more boring because it's getting more and more predictable. Uh, only good thing was at least it was a full two rounder this time rather than a super quick KO one. It felt more like uh, an actual scrap. But um, the uh, Hubbard uh, was uh, the vet on uh, Mackenzie's. Uh, sorry, on uh, Chandler's team. Mackenzie was the uh, the younger chap, and on McGregor's uh, team. I thought personally it was a relatively close first round to start with. There's quite a lot of bit of clinching. Hubbard then got him down and there was some pretty brutal ground and pound and it was a very clear first round for Hubbard, I thought. And um, when it's two round fights, you know, you go around down, you, they do they do ultimately have, if it, it's a tie, they go to a third round. But thinking to myself, Mackenzie needs a KO here and needs to come out. 
I thought he came out quite well, started to throw some good kicks, and you can hear Connor chanting to him, kick, kick, kick. Um, and then Hubbard took him down again, and it was some brutal ground and pound when he threw in some monstrous elbows, fully blooded up uh, his face. And uh, they called the end. For me, straight away, I'm like, this is 2-0 Hubbard all day. Uh, and they cut to McGregor. And McGregor knew, didn't he? His face. You're walking off. <laughs> but it's written all over his face, mate. He's like, I know he's lost. And that uh, ultimately makes it 3-0 to Chandler. It's just, I, I get the point that you would expect the vets to win because they've been there, they've done that, and they've got the more experience. But it, I'm sure it shouldn't always work like that. It doesn't always work like that in the actual UFC. But they don't look anywhere near as skilled. They actually look like not just what they call them, up-and-comers or upcomers. They look like amateurs. They just get their head kicked. This poor guy, that Aaron McKenzie, he went for a CT scan afterwards, didn't he, or a CT check. He went to hospital. His face afterwards was an absolute mess. He had a uh, massive I, I, gash I, over I, his left eye. I got both. I didn't know he went for a CT scan. I was the same yeah, as you yeah. because we were going to do this as soon as the fight finished. I saw there was a few minutes left uh, and I turned it off. But yeah, his face was fucked up from those. He had some brutal elbows from Hubbard when he got him down on the floor. But um, yeah, it's becoming pretty comprehensive for the uh, for the vets at the moment and a bit embarrassing for McGregor's team. Well, my notes just say uh, face looks fucked. Went to hospital. McGregor's team shit. McGregor shit coach. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not so sure you can necessarily correlate the coaching to the performances from the guys. You can only do what you work with. I mean, you could probably put, uh, let's say, uh, you know, what if you had a really good football team and you gave them a really dog shit coach? Would that make a difference? But um, yeah, yeah, McGregor's McGregor's not not covering himself in glory, and um, it's going to be all Chandler's team fighting each other next. Which it, just, which it, just to make, dial back, did you just say if you give a really good football team a shit football coach, would it make a difference? Yeah, because I think it would. Like, if, of course, it, it would. If, if, but that's the same point, isn't it? If you give McGregor his team is shit, even if he was the best coach in the world, you can only work with what he, he's got to work with. So but it's the opposite of what you said. So you're saying that if there were good fighters with a shit coach, there'd be a shit team. Stop How many beers have you had before Stop this? Stop being a cunt. And what, what I meant was, is I wouldn't say that McGregor's coaching skills are necessarily reflected by the poor performances of his team, but it, I, I can see it, it doesn't look good for him, does it? 3-0 down and a man as competitive as him, that'll be hurting him for sure. Yeah, I just, I, I don't disagree. I don't think that there are, I mean, there's still a few people to go, yeah, and he might turn it round and it might not end up just being Chandler's team knocking 10 balls of shit out of one another at the end. But it, it doesn't look good at all. And halfway through the episode, he just fucks off and starts playing with action figures or something and then gives some young kid, what is it, like a shitload of money. Yeah, like, what's going on? I didn't really get that bit. And I, I'll be honest, I'd lost a bit of interest by that point. I was making more notes uh, for, for, for this by that point because it got a bit boring. But um, yeah, I mean, what it does make though for is, is if, let's say, Chandler's team do not necessarily whitewashing, but it's the majority of Chandler's team in the next round that actually does make for them quite an interesting dynamic in the house because you've got guys within the same team training together that are fighting each other for the, the UFC contract. So you, you could argue that, uh, uh, that from a, a storytelling point of view and a viewing perspective, 
that actually makes it maybe a bit more interesting in some ways because you've got guys then that are training with each other that know in a couple of weeks they've got to go against each other and fight each other. So, um, but the best, the look like the longest fight so far, but all, all three have been really comprehensive for the vets, haven't they? Yeah, I'll be honest, I would be even harsher than you in this. I think it was really comprehensive in this one in, in that I think it was so one-sided. I don't think it was close at all in the first round. I think it was just a matter of uh, Mackenzie trying to survive and then eventually when he gets put on the floor, just gets his head smashed in with some really nasty, brutal elbows and then that's how the fight went. Yeah, I mean, he was doing all right in the clinch. He was obviously standing, stopped trying. Hubbard clearly is a, a guy that's got good takedowns, and that was clearly the game plan was to take him down. I thought uh, Mackenzie at least did a good job in the first minute or two of at least keeping it on the feet, clinching, using the cage to try and keep it up. But the moment it went to the floor, I agree with you that it was it was very, very one-sided. I'd say let's move on to preview um, some good fights this upcoming weekend as uh, a UFC fight night. But I would be lying. Um, it's, I was going to uh, say, is it a good fight? <laughs> there's, a, there's a good fight. I'm not so sure about good fights. Well, it's at the apex, isn't it? Which means it's an event without a live audience. Um, not only is it a guarantee of a live crowd, it's normally an indication of a really poor uh, card and average at best. Poor is probably putting it um, quite nicely. And I had a look. So there's 14 fights on this card. Uh, so 28 people fighting. Less than half of them have their own Wikipedia page. Interesting stat. Good, good, good research. <laughs> um... It just shows how it's just a complete and utter gamble in terms of who's going to win. If you were putting bets on an event like this, you'd be clearly an addict. It's just there's the main fight in there. And then there's the rest. These are also the ones, though, to be fair, if you're someone in the know, and I mean, I like to think that we are in the know, but not to the level of some of the guys that I hadn't heard of. But these these are the kind of uh, fights that I remember Rogan talking back in the day that when bookies weren't and still to this day aren't really great with MMA and, and, and knowing the odds, etc. If you know there's a guy that that guy's coming in, that guy's a, a fucking beast, but nobody knows about him. You know, you could get probably a nice treble quad on there with some decent odds of, you know, underdogs that are probably going to smash the other guy. So um, I might do a little bit of research uh, over the weekend before this one kicks off on on that basis. But um, good, good for me. Good, good main fight. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the main fight. I think that's a decent one. Yeah, it's uh, Marvin Vittori versus Jared Cannonier. Um I... <laughs> I will try to figure out who I think is going to take this. I've got obviously Kanier. Uh, Kanier is one of the um, premier, so to speak, knockout artists at middleweight. Uh, he's probably up there as potentially the knockout artist of the division. Uh, he has a really good chance of potentially being the first person to finish for Torre, uh, because his, his power is that impressive. But on the flip side, he is oh, 39, roughly, I think. Yes, I mean, you've got Vittori's ranked three in the world and last fight, obviously, was actually at London. We, we Delitz, saw him, yeah. um, didn't he, get and beat Delitz. Uh, Kinnear is number four. Um, so you'd, you'd argue there's potential um, title implications for the winner. Uh, Vittori, for me, uh, he never impresses me. I, I, I'm really not a fan of watching him, but he always seems to do 
what he needs to do. Uh, I mean, I had a look at his record. Um, he's beaten Paolo Costa, who's no joke, and Delitz in the fight we were just talking about. He's also beaten Kevin Holland. But bar them three, n- no one of any real note. He's lost twice to Izzy, uh, and he's also lost to Robert Whitaker. So that's, you know, the the cream of the cream uh, um, middleweight that he's lost to. In terms of Kinnear, um or Kanineer, um, I mean, the guy's a fucking monster. And I mean, he's actually fought at heavyweight, light heavyweight, and is now down to middleweight. So he used to be an absolutely huge guy. Now, on paper, one, I've got to say, shout out for his uh, nickname, because I love his nickname, the, the Killer Gorilla. That is a, a good nickname. Um, he has beaten Sean Strickland, Derek Brunson, Kevin Gastelum, and a very old and fading uh, Anderson Silva. He has equally, so they've both lost to Izzy uh, and Robert Whittaker. Um, uh, Kanir has also lost to Dominic Reyes, uh, which was at light heavyweight. Jan uh, Blahovic and Glover Teixeira. And again, those, those Reyes was, was on the decline a little bit, to be fair, but certainly Blahovic and Glover, there's there's no shame in losing to those guys at, uh, at light heavyweight. Not all. Um, no, like literally not all. There's nothing more to say about it than that. Um, do you want to call a winner on this? I have been thinking about it. And as I say, I think Kananiya has the potential to take him out. But, and even though I thought Vittori, as you say, looked fairly rough against Delitz when we watched it, and I, I don't see how he won that fight. But anyway... Um, Delitz had the potential of threatening both on the ground and standing, so Vittori had to be a little bit careful about that. Cannonier can't do that; he, he's not that type of fighter. I'm going to go out there and say Vittori by decision. I was going to say exactly the same thing. Uh, the only victory I see for Cannonier is a knockout. Uh, Vittori, for, despite he, he's another one of those that's, you know, a six or a seven out of 10 at everything. He's incredibly durable to give him credit where credit's due and, and a pretty good chin. But I, I was going to go exactly the same. If I had to call it, to be fair, I would go Vittori by decision, probably two to one round wise, and we'll do just enough to secure the victory. So you're essentially saying that you're copying me. Uh, I'd never copy you because you, and, until your recent two strike uh, fight win calling, right? You had a horrendous record, but uh, I, I would probably suggest the majority that that would again, if you if you asked twenty more seasoned MMA journalists than us, I would be wouldn't be surprised if a good seventy five percent wouldn't probably agree with that as a uh, a method of victory and the person I would say. We talked a little bit about Amanda Nunes last week and her retirement as, and, and she'll go down as the, the greatest woman uh, UFC fighter of all time, in our opinion. Um, Pena's been talking shit about her, as as we expected. Just nonsense, isn't it? Ducking her. She's retired because she was scared of her. Um, yeah, bullshit. Tension-seeking. Um, trying to talk her way into um, a fight for the now free bantamweight title, which, to be fair, she probably deserves, given that she did split, um, you know, and take the title off Nunes. She probably would be uh, the next clear, um, uh, certainly in that fight. Who she would fight, I'm not 
entirely sure if uh if i'm honest with you um one thing i did find interesting and i'm just trying to bring it up now because i haven't been slightly prepared but did you notice um there had been obviously now that she is out there had been a bit of a rejig of um the um rankings uh at for women uh pound for pound rankings for women's mma um i can't find it now which is typical but would you like to take uh, a guess at who they now have as number one i ain't got a clue i'm not even going to guess because i'll make myself look silly uh wei li jing they put in at number one ah okay so she has gone in at, uh, at number one uh as i say i can't find the article where i read it so i can't give you the rest of the top 15 but um that one was surprising for me because i do remember thinking i personally thought it might go to valentina shevchenko but she (laughs) she came in at number three so um i don't know uh the the rest of the the rankings i can't lie but um yeah, Wei Lijing is now number one pound for pound uh, according to MMA fighting. You got to say a name again. Go Wei Lijing. No, not that one. Valentina Shevchenko. Or let, I'm just going to call. Perfect. I'm just going to call. I'm just going to call her Bullet by a nickname. <laughs> Make, certainly easier. But um, again, she's no joke. Very very impressive fighter. Um, and I was surprised that she was at three. Uh, can't really recall who number two was, as I say, which is my bad. But um, we'll see how it pans out. Be interesting to see with no Nunes how um, women's MMA sort of expands out now. Uh, Masvidal, uh, George Masvidal, we've not heard of him for quite a bit uh, since his retirement. He has recently been on Tyreek Hill's It Needed to Be Said podcast and revealed his highest UFC pay day. He uh, said that from a fight, the most that he received was about $5 million in total. Uh, it didn't say who the fight was, but can you have a guess of who you think it might be? It was difficult. Well, well, do you know this, by the way? Or are we just No, guessing? I've, I've, I've got a, a seasoned guess. So in my mind, it would probably be um, Diaz for the BMF would probably be the most likely uh, option. If I had to have three guesses, then uh, Askren would be the other one, or maybe even Gilbert Burns. But um, I'm not sure, if I'm honest with you. Well, I think it's UFC 251, which was his first title shot against Usman, because uh, the pay-per-view sold 1.3 million buys at the price of... That's sixty four ninety nine dollars. Um, it was had a look through. And that's a good shout because obviously, when it's a title fight, the two fighters in the title fight get pay per view points as well as their paychecks. So that's probably a better shout than my three guesses. But I was quite surprised at that, really, because although he was always uh, a decent character, shall we say, he was never really world class. And for all the people out there, the haters, the paper, uh, you know you. In Garnu, UFC don't pay very much, blah, blah, blah. Five mil for a fight for Masvidal. That's a good day at the office. I'll be honest, it, it de- definitely is. And 
we could talk until the cows come home about UFC fighters being underpaid, um, and we, we certainly have done previously. $5 million isn't really that generous when you consider what they've probably made off that event. As I say, if you, you look at it as 1.3 million buys of the PPV, uh, $64 or $65, we'll say, a buy. Uh, event brings in about $84 million in PPE revenue alone. Um, it, and obviously, you've got to count everything else in it. Five million is, it still sounds silly, but it's a drop in the ocean to what the company will be making off events like that. So, don't necessarily disagree. He has definitely done well to get that money, but in the grand scheme of things, he's probably been shortchanged. I think I read a stat that said that he got just 6% of PPB sales from the UFC um, when he was at the top of his drawing power but that's that's about average you know it's not unless you're someone like connor even even connor i think i've read before you're talking 10 15 they don't make that much you've also got a factor in he's one fighter on a card of maybe 24 fighters 20 fighters who have all been paid so I, I, again i'm not disagreeing with you and one of the whole major issues where this argument that the ufc don't pay their fighters well enough comes from is the percentage of money that the company earns that goes to the fighters is 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 very small when you look at other sporting franchises in America there's been stats and again I haven't got them to hand but like I know the the NBA uh the baseball they pay a far higher percentage of the total income to the the, the sportsmen rather than um the UFC so I don't disagree with you but I, Five mil, it's one fight. Masvidal had over 50 fights in his career. Now, he's not made all of that, you know, each time, but I just thought that was one for, for, for the, the haters that are saying people aren't getting paid. Five mil is a good payday. And, you know, again, compared to the highest level of boxers where it's 30, 40, 50 mil, again, it, 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 it looks small. I wouldn't disagree with you, but... For someone like Masvidal, approaching the end of his career probably at that point as well, five mils set him up for life. Well, it's allowed him to go on and create uh, Game Bread FC. He's got the promotional brand. Um, obviously, he's retired now. He said at one point, I think there was a Jake Paul interview a week or so ago, a couple of weeks ago, saying that he'd want to try boxing someday, which everyone seems to do that. All these um, ex-UFC fighters seem to try and get into that just because there's more money in it, I think. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does next. Well, he's not going to do like your your two favourite people, is he? Like uh, Mr. KSI and um, fight in his own promotion, uh, get really dodgy decisions, illegal elbows, and then still win. He's not going to uh, try that as he start fighting in uh, game bread. Save your excitement. We've got it coming later in this episode. So uh, you you just save it there. You get excited for it. We can talk about I it. I can't so. fucking wait. I mean, there's not really that much football news to talk about, in all honesty, because of the fact that it's it's the off-season. Majority of news will be transfer-related, I would assume. Before we do, and before we go into the individual transfers, just want to quickly go over the the new rules about English clubs signing players who don't meet the work permit requirements. Have you you seen this uh, that was announced by the FA? The FA announced on Wednesday that English clubs will be able to sign a specific number of players who don't meet the points requirements for work permits. This is a change to the governing body endorsements of the GBE criteria. 
It's a new exceptions panel that's been created and it offers a route for um, certain players to get to the Premier League that don't reach the standard points-based criteria. Exception panels will allow Premier League and Championship clubs to have up to four players who don't reach the points requirements. League One and League Two will be able to sign two. Uh, it's not a free-for-all, though, so the exceptions panel will only recommend players are granted a GBE if they've missed out on the 15 points needed due to exceptional circumstances or if they're a youth player of significant potential and quality. Um, one such example who may have been affected by this, he won't do now, because he's already made it, but he would have been affected in the past. And I'm going to absolutely butcher his name, I'm sure. But this is Forest striker. Uh, is it Taiwo Awunye? Uh, yes, former Liverpool youngster, came yes. from Germany. So, so exactly this. So obviously he had a fantastic end to the season for Forest, uh, kept them up, did very, very well for them. Um, when he scored against West Ham on the second weekend um, of last season, it was his first or first Premier League goal for Forrest in 23 years, and it was his first goal uh, in the Premier League after a seven-year journey of joining a Premier League club, which is ridiculous. So he was signed by himself as a teenager, uh, unable to play for the Premier League uh, or for any Premier League side because he couldn't get a work permit. So he was sent, as you well know, around Germany, Belgium, Netherlands, different loan spells, um, and he actually came out stuck in a, a catch-22 situation because he couldn't get a work permit because he needed to play for Nigeria, but he couldn't get called up to play for Nigeria because he couldn't play for Liverpool. So he was stuck, really. And players like that won't necessarily be stuck in this horrendous situation between a rock and a hard place because the the GBE um, exceptions panel will then step into place and, and allow players like that to have that chance now. Which is good because it I mean allows, obviously, English teams to get more good prospects in. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there was always the exception in there that if you fail to meet the criteria, is it 75% of your national team games you've got to play in or something in that region? It's a weird, so it says 15 points um, structure, but there's different things like playing for your national team, for example, and how often you've played in a top five league, all that sort of stuff. But there was always, wasn't there, that exception that if you could prove somebody was an exceptional young talent, that they would get a work permit anyway. So uh, a Messi at 16, even if he wasn't going to qualify, would have 100% got that exception, for example. but Potentially. Uh, this this just makes it significantly easier. So they, in that example, there was a potential there, but it would still be quite difficult to prove it. And certainly, obviously, with Brexit and, and the such, it makes it difficult for these um, potentially outstanding players to get to where they belong to be. Just on that one, just in a final point I make on that, it's quite interesting actually. In some ways, I didn't, I wasn't fully aware of that. With uh, again, butchered his name, Taiwu, um, because <laughs> Ni- Nigeria aren't exactly stacked with fantastic talent and strikers. I mean, they obviously do have Osman up front, who probably gets walks into their team immediately. But that kind of surprises me in some ways that he wasn't playing for Nigeria earlier purely because of the fact that they've not got the pure number, the, the, the talent pool to pick from that, that, that larger countries would have. It was more to do with age, I think. Um, for whatever reason, and this is sort of the pretentious nature of football, I suppose, uh, Germany obviously gets a little bit of attention. Uh, you've got your um, 
Bayern, you've got uh, Leverkusen, you've got Dortmund, etc. Things like that, they will get attention. Your lesser clubs won't necessarily get anywhere near as attention. Things like Belgium. Um, I can't imagine that you keep up with Club Bruges. The only thing that I've heard of them is about Noah Lang having a fantastic season and Scott Parker getting attacked uh, last season, just gone. And then Netherlands, again, I think the most famous thing that's happened in the Netherlands quite recently is Cody Gakpo going to Liverpool. Yeah, I've got to be honest, I, I like my Dutch football. I, I, um, obviously, they're a, a big feeder league. You get a lot of players joining the Premier League and other teams from there. So, um, Belgium less so, but obviously because I do like uh, a little flutter and a gamble at the weekends, I would probably say I know more about those leagues than most just because, um, you know, from the betting side of things. But I, I, I quite like the Dutch league. Um, good games usually, high scoring. It's got one of the highest scoring uh, averages of games uh, or goals per game across Europe. So they're not usually boring games. Um, and of course, they're also very good. Uh, a lot of the teams have very good scouting networks, Ajax, Firenoid, finding these young players that they then sell on for, for ridiculous fees, usually to English teams. So I, I, I like the Dutch league personally. And if um, I, I'm a bit bored on a Sunday and there's not much else on, because uh, the games kick off at half one, uh, on a, a Sunday um, before a lot of the Premier League ones are quite often flick on a little bit of Dutch football. I mean, it's an interesting way to out yourself as a gambling addict um, through the, the Tablet <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> each to their own. Um, let's get into the transfers then, because there's quite a few to run through and otherwise we'll be talking about this all day. Uh, start with Wilfred Zaha. So there's long since been a rumour, especially with all this, I mean, we talked about it last week, uh, Difficulty, I suppose, with um, teams having this money thrown at them by uh, the Saudi Pro League. Uh, Zaha was apparently one of these players who has been offered a, a major contract. Um, that doesn't look like it's happening now. 30 mil, I, I read, 30 mil a year is offered from two Saudi teams. Uh, it looks like he's going to reject that to join either PSG or Marseille. Um I would personally, if I were him and advising him, tell him to go to Marseille where he's going to get in the team. Um, given some of the ins and outs they're talking about at PSG, I mean, he could quite easily get into that team. But that feels like if you're a PSG fan, a little bit of a step down from a, a Neymar or uh, Mbappe on the wing to Wilfred Zaha, doesn't it? it um, doesn't quite fill me with uh, if, if I was them as a particularly great signing. He obviously has had form as well in terms of a big move when he was younger, when he went to Man U and it didn't really work out for him. So, and he went back to Palace and has become um, their star player. So that will be interesting to see. But certainly if I was advising him, I would be saying to him to, to go to Marseille. Uh, Lucas Hernandez has asked to leave uh, Bayern Munich. He's got one year left on his contract. So um, the likelihood is that they'll probably look to sell him. Yeah, and another one. Oh, he's French. Surprise, surprise. Who are waiting in the wings to maybe buy him? PSG. Uh, so I read anyway. But um, very, very decent player. Underrated uh, fullback and complete centre-back as well. Um, Bayern could have some problems this year because they've also had uh, Pavard, who is another very good French centre-back who can also play at right-back, has asked to leave. And Liverpool have actually been linked with him, as have uh, Inter Milan who I think are the front runners to sign him. 
because Inter Milan are then, ironically, in that merry-go-round, we talk about losing Skriniar on a free transfer to PSG. So they'll be looking to replace somebody with a centre-back. Um, and then there's also rumours that um, Bayern aren't particularly happy with the performances of Apanenko at centre-back as well, because he is a little bit of a very reminiscent of Canate uh, for me. The very good on, on, on his day, can be a fantastic centre-back. He's huge, he's quick, he's very strong, but he's always got a clangor in him. Um, so it, it, depending on how that pans out, that could leave Bayern really with only one centre-back, which is not a bad option to have, but would be delict. You're after a, a centre-back in this transfer window. Would you take Upamenka? No, because we've already got Canate as a clown, but I definitely would take Pavard. I mean, a cheeky bid, potentially. Yeah, 40 mil is what I've read they were they were looking for, because again, I think he's got a year left on his contract. I would think he's about 24, 25. Also, particularly as a benefit for Liverpool, given um, our problems that we've much discussed at right back, he can fill in and do a decent job there. He would be um, pretty much top of the list for me. I would be delighted if we signed Pavard. So, um, yeah, that, I'd be sticking my chips if we're going to go for a centre-back. He would he would uh, fit the bill for me perfectly for Liverpool. Uh, conflicting reports have emerged about uh, young striker Victor Roque. Uh, some are saying that Barcelona have completed the deal for him, which is obviously well known that Barcelona are looking for a striker this summer. Uh, according to, um, I think, I never know how to pronounce it. I'm just going to say Mundo Deportivo. Um, Barcelona have apparently settled on a deal for Atletico. And again, you can correct me if I'm butchering this pronunciation. Paranese? Paranese? Bang on, mate. I thought you were going to get that wrong. Paranese. Atletico oh, Paranese. Well, well played. Uh, so the claim is that he's going to move to Barcelona for 35 million euros plus 10 million euros in add-ons and that he will earn 3 million euros a season. But uh, there's loads of conflicting reports as to whether um, this is actually even happening, whether they're going to pursue this deal. It's... Spanish media is a nightmare to follow these stories with, I swear to God. Well, and Barca and Real, I mean, they're linked with everybody, aren't they? But particularly when they're young, Brazilian, in inverted wonder kids, which you hear, uh, you know, all, all the time. Um, from what I read on this one, uh, Deco, apparently, uh, I think is Roque's agent and has played a large role in the potential transfer. And I also read, which I thought was quite interesting, given he's a former player as well, that he is in line potentially to become the sporting director at Barca. So uh, Deco, obviously, just for people that don't know, is one of those weird ones, Brazilian-born, but a bit of a traitor in some ways, but switched allegiances to play for uh, Portugal. Uh, Obviously, had a a long stint at uh, Porto before he ended up at Barca. But... um, that would be quite a shrewd signing, uh, I would say, as sporting director, because as say he is very well known and connected in the Brazilian market. So if Barca are looking to uh, emulate and replicate what Real have done with, you know, who we were talking about the other week, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Endrick, that would probably be quite an astute signing as a sporting director, I would say. Just before we get on to the next player, because again, we've got a long list of this. Um, it's rumours that, and it's just, I'm just looking through here, 
Marcelo Gallardo is apparently in the process of agreeing a deal to manage Marseille, which would be a strange one. Not a bad team, though. I mean, we, we, we've talked about him before that, you know, supposedly the next big thing coaching wise, uh, very impressive. Marseille have had a very good season. They've got a few impressive South American talents. They've managed to get um, a good season out of Alexis Sanchez, has found some form there and, and, and back in form. I know I can't think of their names, but they've got a couple of other decent Brazilians. I actually think that would be quite a, a a good move for him and quite a good fit. You know, you go somewhere like Marseille, that the expectations are slightly lower because you're obviously against PSG, so everybody expects PSG to walk the league. Um, and if you do well, you put yourself in the shop window for, um, a, 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 you know, a, in, inverted commas, better league in the Premier League or the Spanish League. But um yeah, it's a bit of a surprise, but I actually think that would be quite a good move for him, personally. I agree with the surprise. And when I say it's, it's a bit of a weird one, it's that his stock is incredibly high at the moment and it feels like he could have a pick of quite a number of jobs. To show that he is willing to go to, again, a quote-unquote lesser club, it's not a, a top six, um, or it's not one of the clubs that you would associate with, you know, going to smash the, the Champions League, unlimited funds, things like that. I think it shows that he is willing to back himself. And I completely agree with what you said. It could be the making of him as a manager. If he does well at Marseille, if he you know takes it all the way with PSG, potentially challenges for the title. If he wins the title, then it'll be unprecedented. But if he challenges for the title, does well in the Premier League, uh, in Premier League, in the Champions League, um, there's going to be a lot of, of suitors that are going to be lined up to take him. Yep, don't disagree with you. I mean, what I was just trying to do here, just to to, to make our point a little bit stronger, um, that, you know, Marseille are no joke in some ways. Um, I mean, if I, I'm just pulling up now their, uh, their team. So um, they have a very highly rated centre-back um, called Samuel Gigo, Gigot, I don't know how to pronounce his name, French guy, and also uh, a good Brazilian. Uh, a good Brazilian, um, sorry, Argentinian that they got from Dortmund called Berardi. Um, they've got Vitinha there. I mean, obviously, they've got, he's slightly aging, but they've got Dimitri Payet as the captain. Um, they've got um, Valentin Rogier, who is an underrated French midfielder who does a very good job. And Jordan uh, Vitaut, once a villa and was a bit of a joker, but went on and did really well at... Um, Roma, um, and then uh, Alexis Sanchez. So um, you know they 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 don't have a, a a completely poor team, and in fact, they're also the other one they've got is a, a pretty good um, keeper in uh, Paul Lopez, the Spanish keeper. So he, he's um, he's got some players to work with if he went there, and of course, if he with his knowledge of the. Um, Argentinian league. It wouldn't surprise you if he brought over a few of the um, young, impressive players from um, from River Plate, where he used to manage. So that's a pretty solid base, I would say, for him to to do to put himself in the shop window for a, for a better job down the line. Uh, keep it rolling with transfers. Then uh, one that I think we both were a little bit taken aback by: Nicolo Barella has been linked with Newcastle for fifty million. Um, I mean. I don't think it'll happen for that sum, if at all. But if they can get him for anywhere near that, 
it'd be an absolute bargain. Well, out of all the people we've talked about so far, bet that would be the best signing of the summer. I mean, absolutely brilliant player, massive fan. He is probably the second, the only thing I would say about him, he might be the second biggest yellow card liability in the game after um, what's the Spurs centre-back, Romero, who gets a yellow card every game. Barella and Julie Furpo, of course. Is always getting yellow. Yeah, Furpo is another one, but... Um, absolutely brilliant signing. I wonder if that's swayed by the fact that he is could play Champions League football. I would have him at Liverpool all day for that price. And if Newcastle, I think they do play a 4-3-3, but if they were looking at playing like a, a double pivot in terms of a 4-2-3-1, there's probably not a better combo in the league than than him and Bruno Gamares. So um, that, that could be a very, very shrewd bit of business by Newcastle, that one. Well, the rumours are that, and I think this came from the Guardian, that they're also targeting uh, James Madison from Leicester, who obviously got relegated this season, to allow Gumarez to have a, a bit more of a freer role. Now, Spurs reckon that Madison and Barnes together are only worth fifty million pounds. Do me a favour, Levy, you <laughs> tight fuck. I mean, what, what is it? I mean, what, what do you? I mean, I, I think that's one of those ones where, like, if I was at Leicester and the, the funny thing is I understand it I could be really wrong here but I think football is one of the only things left where they still use fax machines and they like fax offers through if that fax came through to me as an offer of we'll bid 50 million for these two I'd draw a dick and balls and send it back <laughs> to Levy like are you fucking joking me 50 million I mean Ma- Madison is probably is not a, 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 Madison's probably a 50 million pound player on his own and Barnes is certainly I actually think Barnes personally is the better player. Barnes has got to be a thirty million pound player. Uh, you, you're playing that English premium that we know about, but that, but fifty million for the pair is just ridiculous. No, not a chance in hell that's happening. Yeah, you, you've got to be looking at if you're getting both upwards of seventy at the very least, if not more. And certainly, I mean, Leicester obviously are in a position where they know I think that they've got to sell both of them and they'll want to try and get as much money as possible to give whoever it is that comes in as the manager enough of a chance to push through and, and get promoted back to the Premier League. I agree. It, it's got to be significantly more than that for it to be even be considered. Speaking of the English tax, Mason Mount, £40 million bid has been turned down by Chelsea immediately, it says, by Manchester United. I always like it when it says turned down immediately, as if like someone's... A little bit like that. The fax has come through and they've just crumpled it up and just sent them like whatever back, like a dick pic. Um, I mean, another you... one, they were talking about, seven, I mean, again, 70 million for me for Mount. I'm not his biggest fan. I, th- I think he does you a job. The biggest one for me for Mount, I'm just not sure of his best position in terms of where in midfield you get the best out of him. I don't see him as a particularly a defensive mid. I don't see him as a, as a wide player if you're playing a front three I don't really see him. He doesn't do the numbers for me uh, uh, as a 10. So um, I know Liverpool were linked with him for a period and I wasn't really up for that, particularly with the money that they were paying. And when they're talking sort of 56, well, I think 60 or 70, that's ridiculous for him, for me. But 40 million is never going to be enough. And we'll see, because I also read Man U seem to be veering away from Kane based on the valuation um, from, from Levy. So... Um, man, you're obviously being a little bit more cautious these days with their money 
which could of course change if the takeover goes through by the um the the shakes but um yeah for he's never even with a year left on his on his contract for he's never going to be enough for mount i don't think Oh, he's an attacking midfielder as well. I don't necessarily see where he fits into Manchester United's team, in all honesty. I, I get that he's still young and Fernandez might want a little bit of a rest from time to time, but you can't be paying that much money for someone who isn't going to be a starter. If you if they are going to pay 60, 70 million, he's got to be straight in the team every week. Well, one I did see just off the cuff, we haven't discussed this one because I only read it just before I came on, is I did see that, man, you were considering uh, selling Sancho. Did you notice this one? And I did he see was this. Potentially linked with Villa for 60 mil. So whether that's a kind of get rid of Sancho because he's had a bit, been a bit of a disappointment compared to what he was at Dortmund and replace him with Mount, maybe that's maybe where he fits in. Uh, and someone like Sancho for a team like, Villa, where he would probably go straight in as being a star as rather than a smaller fish in a bigger pond, probably would be quite a good move. Keeping the English tax going, I've got the three bigger transfer news, uh, newses, <laughs> three biggest uh, transfer news. I would have my opinion on anywhere. Uh, Declan Rice, he has uh, been centre of quite a lot of speculation about whether he's going to stay at West Ham. They obviously won the uh, Europa Conference League and it might be, oh, they've won the first silver in a while. I was certain they were going and it looks to be the case still. Arsenal's opening bid for him has been turned down. Uh, the opening bid was worth £80 million plus add-ons. The uh, offer was apparently paid in very slow installments and a lot of tough hard to, to reach contingencies that were attached to it. West Ham still value him at 120 million, but apparently would accept 100 million plus a player. Now, it doesn't say what player that is, and Arsenal expected to return to it with an offer in the, the coming days. Man City keeping an eye on it, which would be a I mean, very weird one. That is very Arsenal-esque. I seem to remember they did the same when they their club record signing, when they bought Pepe. I think it was 72 mil they paid for him, but it was in 12 million a year installments over so over long so that that's they've got they've got form for being tight in terms of Suarez payments Suarez is a perfect example the triggered his release clause by what a pound yeah and the, one of the best things ever was when Liverpool were like fuck you take us to court make sue us and uh it all went away but um yeah the only thing I'd argue with that one is very good player. I've been more and more impressed with him over the last couple of years and he's done a particularly sterling job I think for England um, and has, has, has made me think more of him. Um, not entirely sure where he fits in that team. I know Arsenal are looking at selling Xhaka, uh, but Xhaka has been in a slightly more released forward forward role this year. They've got Partey, who tends to play their sort of defensive mid. They can, relate, they can replace Partey with Rice when Partey gets sent to prison. Very true. And maybe that's their thinking, because there is no party like a Thomas party. But... Um, yeah, I I, per, I I I thought he might go somewhere better. Personally, I, I, Bayern seemed to have pulled out. I know they were very interested based on the price. Uh, I wouldn't want him to go to City to end up doing a Phillips. I think he'd have a better chance of getting in than Phillips, but he'd be faced with the same sort of problem that he's not the same quality as as, as Rodri. So um, I did always wonder personally whether he might end up back at Chelsea because he was a Chelsea youngster, wasn't he? And very good friends with Mount as a kid. There's loads of pictures of them together. And he was in Chelsea's youth system for a long time. But 
um, show some good intent, if nothing else, from Arsenal that they're looking to sign that calibre of player and are prepared to spend that amount of money to try and push on next season. Miles better career move, in my opinion, to go to Arsenal than it would be to go to Man City for the exact point that you've raised there. He's not going to get above Rodri. He's probably going to get more playing time than someone such as Phillips would do in that team. But just go to Arsenal. I'm sure he'll be starting on a regular basis in the Champions League. You know, the the, the world's your oyster at that point. Uh, keeping with English midfielders then, and probably the biggest move of the summer, I would argue. Well, there's one other, I suppose we'll come on to it. Uh, Jude Bellingham has officially signed for Real Madrid. They will pay an initial £88.5 million for him, but the deal could rise to £115 million, which is a a British record. He's going to take Zidane's iconic number five shirt, although he did come out and say he'll always be number 22 to himself, because I'm not entirely sure what that is. I don't know if that's a family thing or or what. Um, Madrid's midfield now is disgraceful in the most positive way possible. So look through it. They've got Tuchimene. He signed for uh, 68 million from Monaco. Uh, was that last season? Last uh, season. Camavinga, two years ago from uh, Rennes. Rennes. Rennes, uh, 35 million. Valverde, who I, I really rate, uh, is, is doing fantastic. They've still got Modric. Uh, I know him and, and Cruz are both aging at this point, but that depth is unbelievable. Totally agree. And I mean, where I think that fits in, if you were looking at how are they going to fit all of them in, <coughs> excuse me, is they have been playing Camavinga at left back. That's how um, versatile he is. I don't think that's his best position or, or long term. Um, Valverde, the one thing I like about Valverde is you can push him foot further forward. And back to the point that I was saying in the last podcast, I actually don't think uh, Rodrigo is that great. So for me, if if I if I was the the Real Madrid manager anyway, my starting midfield, if if you're playing a four three three, would be um, Tuchimeni, Bellingham, and Camavinga, and I would put Valverde further up front on the wing, um, Vinicius Junior the other side, and then obviously whoever they get to replace uh, Benzema up front. It's probably a good job that you're not the Real Madrid manager. I can, what Valverde on left wing then? Left or right, whichever one. But if, if you if you he's played there quite a lot. He's played there more than you think, and he, he he's very very talented. And he's got a bit of everything in his locker. Scores some really good goals. He can dribble. He can tackle. He can work his way back. Um, he adds a little bit more solidity if if you are in a Champions League game where you need someone to track back a little bit. But if you were trying to fit them all into one team, that's how I would do it. Unless you were playing four across the middle, of course. I saw a rumor that uh, you had offered. It was near £51 million for him, which sounds an absolute nonsense rumour, in all honesty. Because to who? Valverde? Yeah. It'd be a very good signing for you. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's ne- never going to happen no, to that money, yeah. is it? No. It's as likely as Barella to go to Newcastle for, for £50 million. Um, final one then, and this is probably going to be the transfer saga of the summer, Mbappe. So Mbappe has informed PSG through a letter, which speaking of old school, earlier this week, that he wouldn't be triggering the extension that was included in the contract that he signed last year. Uh, So he's available on a free next summer. PSG refused to let him go on a free. And if he won't sign an extension, he'll be on his way this summer. My opinion, 
I think he needs a move for the benefit of his ambitions football-wise anyway. Um, and the problem that he's got, and the reason that I say that, by the way, sorry, is that with him playing for PSG, he is playing for probably the weaker of the, the top five leagues in Europe. I think he needs to go somewhere like Spain, maybe Germany, if not England. That would be very, very fun to see him in the Premier League. Uh, the problem is, facing is that just like Messi in 2021, his value, so his, his player value, has limited what options he really has. It's probably only a handful of clubs who could afford him uh, in the current market. I've got that down and chime in here if, if you think of any more. City, Chelsea, Madrid, potentially Manchester United, if that takeover, that Qatar takeover takes over. Um, other problem that they've got, in all honesty, even if you can afford him, FFP constraints are going to limit that even further. I think City and Chelsea have no chance of signing him because of the fact that they would essentially have to restructure their entire squad to comply with FFP. Mbappe going to a Qatari-owned Manchester United might potentially be an issue, but there's other sort of political issues involved there in terms of state involvement with sport. Again, you're talking about sport washing while like with Newcastle, etc. And that's that's beyond FFP. So all of that, and I, I know that you agree with me on this, leaves Madrid as the most serious option. Uh, Real Madrid have spent probably the last four years reshaping their entire budget and the majority of their squad to go very, very big. And the rumours are that they're going to go bigger in this transfer window, probably as shown by the Bellingham transfer, than they have done in four years, so since 2019. Um, the rumours, again, and I've got to be very clear about this, that they are rumours, is that two weeks ago, Madrid were looking to bring in two players, and those two players were Jude Bellingham and given a two-year contract to Harry Kane, which apparently is more advanced than a lot of people have anticipated. However, the announcement on Tuesday has brought a number of intensive talks on what they should do next. And the main problem involved in this transfer, in all honesty, rather than the finances, is going to be, again, the political nature of it. There was a massive issue with Mbappe last summer where it looked like, you know, will he, won't he go to Madrid? And Perez, as everyone knows in football, is probably one of the most spiteful chairmen that you will ever see. And he doesn't want to give money to a Qatari-owned project. So, again, that might rule out Manchester United, might also rule out Madrid. But they really want him. So, do they sort of bite their tongue and say, oh, we'll grip his teeth, let's get this transfer done. We're going to have one of the best players in the world, similar to what they did with Ronaldo, or do they stay firm on it? Um, I agree with you in terms of the clubs. Just answer your first question there. The only other clubs that I would say realistically, and I think from a competitive point of view, he's far too young for this, but would be if any of these silly Saudi clubs came in and offered him a billion pounds or something, you, would, 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 would that happen? I think he's far too young for that, and I can't see that happening. Um, he obviously, another issue with Real is that he said he was going to join them last year, then didn't. And not as well as that, that spiteful nature you talk of Perez really pissed them off and they were kind of really fucked off with that. Real is pretty much the only realistic option for me. The only reason that I am slightly sceptical about that one is if you've got people like City under pressure from 
financial fair play investigations. How are Real going to justify 68 mil last year on Tuchemeni, 88 on Bellingham, and then 150, whatever you're going to have to pay for Mbappe now. So I still think that's the most likely one, but it does raise a lot of questions that how on earth would they get round financial fair play if they were to go out and spunk that kind of money on on Mbappe? Well, they made a profit uh, last season. For example, they sold uh, Varane for roughly about 40 mil. They sold Erdegaard for 35. um, And they only spent, what was it, about 31 on Camavinga? Um, Was that the season It's done over a period of, I think financial fair plays looked over, it's a four or five year period though, isn't it? So as you say, that does factor in and help, but... That the amount of money, even though he's only got one year co- on his on his contract left, PSG are not going to be letting him go for. You're talking, as you say, well into the hundreds, hundred twenty. You might get lucky because the fact that they don't want him to go on a free and, and lose the hundred and sixty million that they paid for him. But I can't see them letting him go for less than one twenty, one thirty, one forty. That sort of price. This, this is what I'm saying though about the the restructuring and a one mistake, and obviously that would come of Ingersoll with the season before. They've made a profit in sales every season for the last few seasons. So if I go back to let's say 2021 season, uh, they made a profit of 104 million. So they didn't make any um, significant purchases. They sold Hakimi to Inter. They sold uh, Regulon to Spurs. Rodriguez to Sevilla, or Sevilla, um, and then you go to the next year, to 21-22, that was the Camavinga year. They made a profit of £47 million the year after. So last year, they made a profit of uh, £12 million. Obviously, they, they bought Tuchemeni for £80 million, but they sold Casemiro for a massive fee to, to Man United. Um, and then players like, I think, Kuba, who was a, a right winger, a young right winger, went to Sociedad. Gutierrez went to Girona, who's a left back. Uh, Mayoral went to Getafe for about 10 million. So they're in profit every single year. So that they've got no issues with financial fair play, which is why it looks more likely financially. It's just that political aspect. And you make a, a fantastic point, and that's what I was saying before about the fact that Perez is so bitter as a person and is spiteful. Does he? grit his teeth and make this signing or does he stick to his guns and say oh we don't want him anymore you've rejected us we don't we're not interested anymore which would be stupidity for me you've got to swallow your pride on that one when when you've just lost Benzema in the form that he's in you're missing a striker and you can get you know uh, uh, it's a toying cost of the one of the two but one of if not the two best the two best strikers in the world are undoubtedly Haaland and then Mbappe they are the Ronaldo and Messi of the next 10 years even Perez surely would be talked down by the board or other people to say, swallow your pride, stop being a grouchy old twat, pay the money and buy him. So I, I agree with you, but that would be insanity if that was the reason they didn't sign him was because of the fiasco last season. So surely even he has got to see that. Just want to sneak in two little last bits about um, Leeds because I ain't really spoken about Leeds and it's all been negative recently. And this one isn't fantastically positive either, to be honest. Um, But I do feel like it's worth uh, a quick mention. Have you seen Ricky Fowler's interview? Um, Golfer, very famous golfer. No. So he did an interview with Sky Sports saying that he's looking to become an investor of Leeds. So him, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth are all potentially being involved with the club. 
uh, the way that 49ers enterprises have bought it, it's essentially like an investment arm of the 49ers. And uh, it, they would potentially join New Orleans Pelicans forward Lance or Larry Nance Jr., who has been quite vocal on Twitter, and Indiana Pacers guard TJ McConnell, who are both currently minority investors in uh, Leeds, which I just thought were a little bit funny. Um, you know, I want to say that it gets us more money, a bit more publicity, and it's all part of a bigger plan for Leeds. Uh, it is definitely worth mention. And again, this is the sad news, I suppose, but. I can't let the episode go by without mentioning it. Gordon McQueen uh, has has passed away, unfortunately. So former Leeds United, Manchester United and Scotland defender. He was 70. He was diagnosed with vascular dementia a couple of years back. He played 30 times for Scotland. He helped us win, us being Leeds, the first division title in 1974. Started his career at St Mirren before he joined us in 72. Um also played a really important role in our running in the 1975 European uh, Cup final. Should have won it, uh, in all honesty, but that's another um, can of worms to open. And then he went to have a successful career with Manchester United as well. He won the FA Cup in, in 1983. Can't speak for everyone, of course, but I'm sure he'll remain in the hearts of Leeds fans forever. Always sad when a club legend passes. Um, yeah, and uh, good shout uh, just to, to throw that out there. Fury's been talking shit again, Ian. Um, I'm bored of it. I don't like hearing him. I don't like seeing his face anymore. But he reckons he could fight uh, John Jones and Francis Ngannou in the same night. Absolute silliness. I mean, the one thing he he didn't clarify, which I assume he means is in a boxing match in the same night. Um, As much as it kills me to say it, um, he probably could have a chance of actually doing that and probably beating them both. What I would like to do, and I would like to see if I was both of their managers, is to say, okay, we'll do that on on on, on the condition you spend one minute in the cage with each of Jones and Ngannou. And let's see who gets the bigger fucking up in those periods. Because you put John Jones in a cage with Tyson Fury in one minute, you could, he could get murdered. So um, I'd watch that. Absolutely, absolutely, absolute nonsense talk as usual. Becoming a complete attention whore. Wants to go and fight. What you were telling me, the guy that he was talking about off in 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 Australia. What was he ranked? The fifty sixth so ranked ridiculous. heavyweight yeah. in the world. Like I'm done with him. I, I still I, I say I was a massive Fury fan. Really underrated in terms of boxing skills, but. I genuinely think there's there's I know he's talked about mental health problems before and I wouldn't want to belittle that there's genuinely something wrong with him at the moment whether he's you know having a bit of a, a bit of a, a, a breakdown whether he's he, he, he's on drugs but some of the shit that he's coming out with and, and, and talking stop talking and do what you do which is fight and do what everybody wants you to do which is fight Usyk for the undisputed. No more nonsense. Stop calling out MMA fighters in silly, silly little posts like this and give the people what they want. It doesn't help with his dad coming out, um, big John, saying about... It is dad, isn't it? Correct. Yeah, uh, coming out saying that he won't fight Usyk unless he issues a public apology, which is never going to happen because it's just all nonsense. But An apology for what? It, literally, he says that 
Usyk has turned the public against Tyson Fury. And then he started quoting things like all these foreigners coming over. You know, all this nonsense. And you're just like, oh, just give it a rest. Just shut your mouth. I think you find Fury has turned exactly. the public against Fury from talking bullshit all the time and making excuses of why he won't fight the people that that everybody wants him to fight. So that, in itself, as you say, that doesn't help matters at all. And if I was Usyk, I would be laughing and sending an equal picture of a cock and balls uh, on Instagram <laughs> to the idea of sending him an apology. But what a ridiculous thing to even say, because again, that to me feels like you're saying that because you know it's not going to happen. So it, it puts that immediate blocker in the fight and it gives it gives Fury an excuse to hide behind to say, well, I told him if he apologised, I'll, I'll fight him and he won't. You shouldn't have to apologise for shit. This is coming from one of the biggest smack talkers in the game and then he wants an apology for someone else talking smack. Nonsense, mate. Absolute nonsense. Enough about Fury and, and pointless nonsense wittering on that he does. But um, we actually have some boxing this weekend, thankfully. Uh, Fraser Clark will be fighting Mariusz Walk. They have weighed in today, I think it was. Weirdly, it's on a Friday, which I'm a bit annoyed by because I'd quite like to watch that on Saturday and have a few beers. Um, it's very rare that Fraser Clark would look small to an opponent. Uh, Walk was 20 stone, 11 pounds, 5 ounce. Um, Fuck. Clark, yeah, he's, That's he's a big a, boy, man. That's a big super boy. Super heavyweight, which is, is ridiculous. Um, it's, it's Clark's first 10-rounder. This isn't really going to be a challenge, in all honesty. It should be a, a fairly easy fight for him. Uh, Walk has fought against Povetkin. Uh, Jared Miller, Bacoli, White, lost every fight. He's even lost to Huey Fury. So if Fraser Clark not doesn't stel- win this... Not a stellar record then. No, if, if Fraser Clark doesn't win this, then uh, he, he should probably hang it up. Um, we also have an announcement this week that Jai... I'm going to probably butcher this as well. Opataya has been instructed to defend his IBF Cruiserweight World title against Richard Rackpaw. So he's finally getting a title shot. He has become, uh, this is React Poor, of course, a leading cruiserweight contender. He's the only man to have beaten CBS, Chris Billum Smith, who is uh, the WBO cruiserweight champion. Uh, he recently knocked out former WBO champ, and again, another butchering of pronunciation, I'm sure, Krzysztof Glowaski, I believe his name was, uh, within four rounds. Very, very easy. And he's risen to number two position in the IBF rankings. Ideally, Reactpor wins this and it sets up a unification against Bill Smith. Tough fight for him, though. Um, you know, he's one of those fighters that, again, the the, the casual fan might not know Obatai, but very, very good. Actually, the ring champion at um, Cruiserweight. So, again, uh, highly ranked um, and very, very decent fighter. I can't say I've seen uh, a, a great deal of him, to be perfectly honest, but from what I have done... Um, Decent, decent boxer, and that's definitely one to, to be tuning in for and a good scrap. Finally, I get the chance to talk about Ian. Um, I've been waiting all the way through this episode. The Misfits Series 8 card has been announced. <laughs> How the have they even got face. to 8? How have they got to 8? Now, let me impress you immediately. On this card, we have a tag team match again. In that Do we have those match. two fat cunts that look like they might have had a heart attack They fighting. will never fight again. But wait, wait for this. Tag Good team for their match health. is between Street Fighter 2 
Not the game. I was going to say, what, the game? Someone from the game? Like, what? Wait till you hear the fighting. OJ Rose and Kimbo Slice Jr. (laughs) See? Uh, I'm only going to smile because Kimbo Slice was one of my heroes from the backyard boxing back in the day. Became an MMA fighter. Sadly passed away a number of years ago, but was a... Uh, definitely a legend in, in, in MMA circles, Kimbo Slice. So uh, his son, sadly, is nowhere near as uh, prolific or hard, but that sounds ridiculous. Go on, continue wait to for tell it, me wait the for rest it. of the... I'm not going to tell you the rest of your card because you won't be interested and I won't bore you with it. However, I will tell you what the main event is. The main event is Niche LMAO versus Swarms. Wait for it, wait for it. Versus B Dave versus Ryan Johnson in a Survivor tag team match. It's the last man standing wins, and there's four people in it. Let me explain the rules. So, so they have all four in the ring at one time, WWF style. Let me explain it. Let me explain it. It's not a tag team match per se, but it's a four-man fight, and it's the last man standing wins. So it's every man for himself. Only two fighters are allowed in the ring at one time. Two fighters will start the bout. Uh, it's going to be decided by a fan vote on social media. Fighters can tag in and out of the action. They won't be tagging teammates in. They'll be tagging other people in. Refusal to accept a tag will result in that fighter being eliminated. A fighter is not allowed to tag the same person in consecutively. So you can't be like, yeah, I'll tag you back in. Uh, any fighter that gets knocked down is immediately eliminated from the match. Once a fighter is eliminated, the next fighter will be chosen clockwise from the corner of the eliminated fighter. It's boxed over four three-minute rounds. At the end of each round, the fighters in the ring are changed. And if more than one fighter remains standing at the end of the four rounds, the contest will go to the judges' scorecards. The scorecards, fighters are awarded eight to ten points per round, as you expect, depending on their performance. And any fighter who does not participate in any given round will be awarded nine points. Tell me you're not excited for that. I'm disgusted, is what I am. I, what What are they doing to the great sport of boxing? How, how, how even you, like, how can anyone say that that is not diminishing what is an inc- one of the hardest, you know, most dedicated sports that you need to do? They just make it. It literally feels like they're making a joke of it, and almost saying, "Do you know what? How stupid can we get before someone says enough's enough?" I mean, that is just absolutely... If you, if you told me that genuinely without being on the podcast and in that much detail, I genuinely think you were winding me up. <laughs> I wouldn't believe I you, it. I thought you were going to say, I genuinely would never speak to you ever. <laughs> I just I thought you'd be winding me up. If someone if someone proposed that to me, is that, what about this as idea? I'd be saying, have you been smoking crack? What a load of nonsense. Have two boxing matches with two different fighters. And then if you wanted to, do it as a mini tournament. Two versus two, the winners go through like that. Tag team boxing. This is just, it's, it's its so far beyond the joke for me now that you can tell in my voice, it genuinely infuriates me. <laughs> it is the future. It is not just tag team boxing, but survivor tag boxing. You're not going to get a more entertaining event all year. Cancel everything else. Cancel your heavyweight title fights. Cancel... You know, your React Paws, your Billum Smiths, Canellos, nothing in comparison to Nitch LMAO versus Swarms versus B Dave versus Ryan Johnson in the first ever Survivor tag match.
Seeing the fact that I've only ever heard of one, and the only reason I've heard of one is swarms is from you talking about this shit before. So that that I mean, yeah, I I don't I don't want to get involved. I'm gonna I'm gonna blur fuse if 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 I end up having to talk. But this is the whole misfits thing. Generally, for me, is a piss take. If it's at least boxing, it's boxing. Once you start getting like this, I, I personally don't believe it achieves what they're trying to achieve, which is bring in a new audience or make it exciting. I think the vast majority of people would have a similar opinion to me of this is completely diminishing an incredible sport and is just bullshit. But I could be wrong. I'm an old man. Maybe young kids, this is what they want to watch. But Let, Let's end it on a, a more professional and serious note then. KSI and Tommy Fury is now very, very close to being a done deal. And it's set to be announced shortly. Uh, both camps have confirmed. Following his victory over Jake Paul earlier this year, Fury was obviously ringside to watch KSI's knockout win over Joe Fournier, which was a no decision because he... So is this, he I was just going to say, him. is this going to be a boxing match or is this going to be under MMA rules where elbows are allowed after the last one? So uh, what, what rule set are we talking that this fight is due to be under? I would expect it will be an eight-round boxing match. Um you're not excited for this? Not blood pumping? No, but if I had to, only purely because you've asked it, surely Fury's got to beat the fuck out of KSI on this one. If he beat Jake Paul, he's got to beat KSI. I'm excited for this one because I can't stand either of them. So whoever loses, I win. If KSI gets knocked out, it'll finally be the end of this weird cocky act that he's got. If KSI knocks out Tommy Fury, it'll be the most embarrassing thing to ever happen in boxing since the Survivor tag match. You're speechless. I don't, I don't, You're I don't speechless. know what to say. I, I, I literally don't know what to say. Um, I'll end it before you end it. <laughs> before Clearly. I blow my brains out or go and find KSI and blow his brains out for ruining a genuinely great sport. But um, yeah, crazy, crazy. I can't, can't get my head around it. The tag team shit is is beyond my, comp- my simple mind. Can't, can't even comprehend what nonsense that is. Well, if you're listening to this on uh, the weekend on which we announce, uh, we release it, which will, I think will be the 16th of June, uh, this Friday, have a fantastic weekend. It's supposed to be fantastically sunny. Me and Ian will be off as heads in uh, Leeds, obviously very sensibly. Um, I hope you all have a fantastic weekend and thanks very much for listening. Mm-hmm.